Well, it's good to see everybody. If you're glad to be in the house of God this morning, say amen. 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 Let's all stand. We want to go to the Lord in prayer. I'm going to ask Brother C.W. Tanner to open us in a word of prayer this morning. Brother C.W. Amen. Main standing page 181. Standing page 220.
Oh, joy. 
page 167. sip of water here. Ah, well, that's some good water. Amen. You can be seated this morning. You can be seated. I got lost in the moment there for just a bit. Uh, let me make some announcements to you of some things that we got going on at church. We got a lot going on, so listen closely. Um, on November the 12th, the ladies are gathering here at the church having a devotion. If I understand this right, my wife is doing the devotion that day. And then y'all are going to go 
for lunch and shopping trip together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my. Men get ready to dole it out. Amen. But while the women are doing that, all of us men are going to be going to a skeet shoot. And I understand that Brother Nathan's treating everybody to lunch. Is that right? Did I get that right? Where'd he go? He's, he's hiding. <laughs> no. Uh, no telling what we'll do that day, but we are going on a skeet and troop shoot. So if you need to know more about that, see Nathan Dinsmore about it. Amen. Pardon? What day's that on? Won't be anybody here. <laughs> Y'all can come. I might be able to get some people here to hear you, Carol. Amen. Um, November the 19th, Happy Pilgrim's Pancake Breakfast. If you're a part of that uh, ministry of the Happy Pilgrims, which is 45 and over, uh, we'll be going on November the 19th, having a pancake breakfast right here at 9 o'clock that morning. The NBC Christmas party is listed as December the 4th, and there's a, a printout in the bulletin explaining all of that, so uh, remember that. And also, we are, I'm going to tell you a bit of a story, we're collecting food items for our food basket drive which we'll be giving out the week of Thanksgiving to some needful uh, families. And we had some donations to, for our turkeys. So me and Miss Deb, I think it was Friday, Thursday, Friday this week, we decided we'd go and see if we could find some turkeys. Well, we found some at Walmart on Highway 400 and, and uh, found them for 98 cents a pound. Well... We, we loaded up what they had in the, the cooler out front, which was about 25 turkeys, and I had a buggy just full of turkeys. I mean, they were running over. Had people come by and say, what are you doing? You have you got that big a family? I said, oh, yeah, we, we got a big family. And then I would explain what we're doing. Had an old gentleman pull up, reach in his pocket, pull out a $10 bill, and he said, well, I want you to put this toward it, and then for the next 10 minutes told us a story about his Christmas as a little boy and how he was blessed that, that particular Christmas because he was able to give his bicycle that he got for Christmas away to a, a boy in need. And he was talking about how blessed it is, is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And he stood there crying and just telling us all about that experience. Then had another lady ask us, say, what are y'all doing with by the time we got to the registers, we were checking out with 70 turkeys. And, uh, and the lady asked my wife, said, what are y'all doing? And my wife explained it to her that our church was going to be giving out food boxes for Thanksgiving. And she pulled out some money, gave it to Debbie and said, put this toward it. And, and people just so thankful that people are still remembering others. And, and it truly is more blessed to give than it is to receive. So if you want to be a part of this, uh, we're going to be setting a date of when we'll be giving these boxes away a little bit later on, and you can come and help us 
be a part of that is such a blessing to see those people come and uh, and receive what God has blessed us with. Amen. Ephesians chapter number 5 today, Ephesians 5. We do appreciate all of you being here, especially our visitors. Thank you all for coming to Murrayville Baptist Church. I pray that you'll get something from the Lord while you're here. 
The Lord has definitely got something for every person in this room. He's already got something in mind He wants to speak to you about, He wants to do for you. And if you'll just listen closely, you'll hear it. It may be one word, it may be a phrase, it may be a sentence, it may be a thought that God has especially for you this day. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5, and before you stand, how many of you were here last Sunday? Raise your hand. You may remember we started last Sunday with this thought on a growing marriage, and we're continuing with that thought this morning, and I don't know how long this may go on. Uh, I, sat in a, I sat in a marriage, it wasn't a, a conference or anything like that, the preacher was just preaching about marriage, and he got up that day and, and he, he covered so much ground, to be honest with you, I got lost in all that he said. Now, I did receive something, like I said, the Lord had something for me, but I just kind of, I lost, uh, there was just so much and good stuff that he was giving, but it was just so much that I could not comprehend all of it or, or retain all of it. And I think it's better to get something than it is to get too much. I just believe that with all of my heart. And we're going to take our time with this. We're going to go through it uh, slowly to where you can obtain things that will, that will strengthen your marriage, strengthen your heart, strengthen your life, and pray that God would use it in every person's life. I realize my audience is mixed. I realize there's some here that's not married yet, but one day I, uh, you will be getting married, and uh, young people, and, and I pray that the things that will be talked about here will be carried into your marriage, not because I've said it, but because it is from the Word of God. And we've been preaching on the thought of a growing marriage. We began last Sunday. We used the text out of Genesis chapter 28 and 29. Isaac had sent Jacob out. He said, Jacob, it's time for you to get married. It's time for you to hunt, hunt a woman, a wife. And he said, you go out, and he told him where to go. He told him who not to go seek, and it, he kind of guided his son and told him, he said, in essence, what he told him, he said, son, you need somebody as a wife who believes like you do and was raised like you were. You know, that's good advice. Uh, it's good to seek out somebody that believes in the same God that you believe in. You get somebody that don't believe in the same God that you believe in, wasn't raised in the, in the principles that you were raised in, it will cause trouble in your marriage very quick, very quick. And so Isaac gave Jacob some great advice. Jacob begins his journey. He goes out. And you know the story. We read it to you last Sunday where Jacob sees this woman at a well by the name of Rachel. And immediately he falls in love with her. I mean, it was love at first sight. It said he kissed her and lifted up his voice and wept. I always love that when Pastor Scripture. I said, man, what a kiss. Amen. Well, he begins this conversation with her and finds out that she's the woman that was raised like her. And so he begins this quest. And 
begins working for her daddy and then strikes a bargain with her and says, listen, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll work for you for seven years if you'll let me have your daughter, Rachel, in marriage. Him, Jacob, and Laban, they strike the deal. They, they agree to it. And for seven long years, Jacob works for the hand of Rachel in marriage. And the Bible says this, and it says in, at the end of that passage where it says he worked for seven years, it seemed as nothing for the great love he had for Rachel. Well, Laban tricks him and gives him his oldest daughter in trickery and beguiles him. And, and lo and behold, the next day he finds out, I've married Leah, not Rachel, her older, Rachel's older sister. Well, it, it upset uh, Jacob and he says, listen, why did you beguile me? He says, we've got the, the older must marry first. The younger cannot marry before the elder sister. Well, it was a custom in the land. And so Jacob agrees to work for Laban seven more years. That's how strong his love was for, for Rachel. He said, I'll work for you seven more years if you'll still let me have Rachel's hand in marriage. And for 14 years, Jacob works and labors for the hand of Rachel. Now, us men understand that principle. It's been said, and we were raised on this saying, Miss Carolyn, that a woman's work is from sun to sun, but a man's work is never done. <laughs> Did I get that right? Uh, all the women say no. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm still working for that one right there. Huh? Come on, Ben, don't be, don't be bashful. I'm still working for that one, still paying for her. <laughs> woman wanted to see the world, so a man bought her a map. Amen. Woman wanted a present. She said, I don't care what color it is. I want it to go from zero to 200 in five seconds flat. He bought her a bathroom scale. <laughs> oh, I better get back to preaching. I be we better get in the book, right? Right, right. Okay. Ephesians chapter number five, Ephesians chapter number five. And when you find that spot, if you'll stand to honor the reading of God's word this day, Ephesians chapter five, going to read some powerful verses directed at a husband and a wife, the relationship with each other, and the re actually the relationship with each other and with Christ. Ephesians chapter number five. We'll begin in verse number 17 of our text, Ephesians 5, verse number 17. The Word of God says it like this, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. It goes on to say, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, 
speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. See, he's talking about relationships. Then he's going to define that relationship beginning in verse number 22. He says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Uh, for the husband is the head of the home. Did I, did I read that right? For the husband is the king of his castle. Did I, did I read that right? Huh? For the husband, it, it makes a big difference. For the husband is the head of the wife. A living, breathing being. Not a structure. Not a recliner. But a wife. For the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ and we are, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, look at this. The very next word, love. All you men, all you husbands in here say that word, love. love. Husbands, love. That's one time. Husbands, first time, love. Your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having the two things that women worry about in life, spot or wrinkle. You just can't beat this book. This book is so far ahead of us that they might not have spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to second time love. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Wow. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular, so third time, love his wife. We must have a problem with that. Us men must have a problem loving our wives the way we should. And I'll explain more about that in just a moment. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she, he's going to explain submission right here for you, reverence her husband. 
That word reverence means to deeply respect, to have deep respect for. What's the word for the husband? Love. What's the word for the wife? Submit. Reverence that husband. I want to continue with that refrain on a growing marriage and, uh, and try to preach it in a way that will be beneficial to every home that's represented here today. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this day, Lord, I love you so much and thank you for loving us the way you do. Lord, I, I'm asking for your favor upon this time together as we surround ourselves with the good word of God. May the word of God go out in, in great power and effectiveness. May it accomplish everything that you've sent it to today. And we'll thank you and praise you for everything that you'll do for us. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. And all of God's people said, you can be seated. You can be seated. I'm preaching today on this thought on a growing marriage. A marriage is, according to the Word of God, a great mystery. We don't understand it. We didn't ordain it. We, man, did not come up with that idea it was all God's idea. You see, it began back when at the creation of all of this that we know of. The heavens, the earth, the stars, the moon, the sun. And on the sixth day, God created a man. The Bible says that he formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Man stood upright, and if you'd seen man that day, you would have thought, wow, this guy's about 33 years old, and if you'd talked to Adam, he would have said, no, God just created me. You see, God creates something with an apparent history that it doesn't have. That's what fools all the evolutionists that think, well, it took billions of years for us to get to where we are. No, all God's got to do is says, let there be, and there will be. That's all God's got to do. I, I'd rather believe in a big God than I had a big bang. And God created man of the dust of the ground, breathing in his nostrils the breath of life, and man stood up a living soul, and they began having fellowship with each other. God says, looked at man, and he said, it's not good that man be all alone in this garden that I've created for him. I mean, man had everything that he needed. And so God put Adam to sleep. And while he was asleep, he reached inside and he pulled out a rib. I particularly, I personally believe that that was the rib connected to man's humanity. I believe we've lost our, that's, that's why men are so, domineering and in control. We lost part of our humanity that day. I said last Sunday that I believe it was connected to the hearing and all you women shouted. <laughs> because all of us men have problem with hearing. All of us do. I believe that rib was connected to our ears, but I believe it was also connected to our personality and that's why man's just got to have his way.
Well, I, I better go on. So God created a woman, brought her to the man, and Adam and Eve became one flesh in that garden that day. God created marriage, and He did it for a reason. He did it so that they too could complement one another and, and could work together to have dominance the way God told them to, to be able to, to rule over that garden and to have dominion over everything that God had created. God thought a lot of Adam and Eve. He thought so much of them that everything he created was for Adam and Eve's enjoyment. He said, I want you to enjoy everything. It just listen to me. He said, there's just one thing that I want you to be mindful of. Don't eat of that tree in the midst of the garden. Well, we know the story that Adam and Eve did eat of that tree. And henceforth, we live in a fallen world. The day that Adam and Eve ate of that tree, they fell and died a spiritual death. Whenever they were driven out of that garden, they walked into a world full of woe and full of the wiles of the devil. We as married people have an enemy. And it's not your wife. It is not your husband. It is Satan. He wants to conquer and divide every marriage that is sitting here today. If you think that, that Satan isn't interested in your marriage, then why do we have all the trouble in homes that we do? Why does it seem like the home, especially on a church day, on a church day, there's more excuses found for not going to church than any other. It don't happen during work week. Sunday-itis only lasts 24 hours. Y'all know that. Come Monday, Sunday-itis is over and we can go to work. Why is it that on that day, Satan seems to work overtime to get husband and wife in a little tiff. On the way to church, they're, they're arguing with one another. The kids are all just everywhere and got the, the wife and the husband at odds with each other. And then we walk into church and we say, glory to God, so glad to be here. Hallelujah. And we put on our Jesus face then. Why is it, why is it that the home has all the issues, and there are issues in every home. Every marriage has its battles. There was one man, one woman in one garden, and Satan walked into that garden to destroy that one marriage of that day. One marriage. And he walked in that garden with the intent of destroying everything that God had blessed. I always, in counseling sessions, and we've done a little bit of that down through the years, I've always 
set the two people that are at odds with one and and it always it never ceases to amaze me that the same two people the same two people who now cannot get along one day stood at a marriage ceremony stood at an altar with love gleaming from their eyes and hearts just full of expectancy and stood there and said, I do to each other. Something happened, and now they're sitting in my office with troubles in their marriage, and they've, the, the man's got his list, the woman's got her list of things that have transpired and things that have happened. And they sit there and they're at odds with two people who said they were in love with each other and now at odds with each other. What happened? I always refer them to the book of Galatians chapter 6 where it says we wrestle not with flesh and blood. But with principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world. With every couple that has ever faced a battle, with every marriage that has ever faced a, 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 a hard time to where they even considering divorcing one another, Satan is standing in between the two of them, laughing his fiendish head off and, and pushing every button that he can to try to dissolve it with a divorce. Why is Satan so intent on working in every heart of every marriage? Why is he so intent on trying to wreck mine and Debbie's marriage? Why has he, why has he battled us so intently? It's because God created the home. God created marriage. That's why. Why is he fighting the church? Because God created the church. God instituted the church. Anything that God is for, Satan is against. And I want to say right there, thank God, thank God the marriage has a friend and his name is Jesus. For every attack of the enemy, there's one standing there that is willing and waiting for those two to come together up under his love, up under his banner, up under his care, up under his guidance, up under his word, and bless them beyond measure. You can have a great marriage. You, you can have a great home. A home, a marriage that you, you cannot wait to get to. A home, a marriage that you just long to be with each other. Sometimes down through the years of a marriage, it seems that couples kind of drift from each other. That's another ploy of Satan. They kind of drift from each other. And they just come to a point of just existing. They live in, at the same address, up under the same roof line. 
They maybe sleep in the same room, but they just exist together. Things have happened between the two down through the, the years of their relationship together. And there's no, more, there's no more relationship with each other. They just kind of there. What has happened? Why is that so common? A common thread, especially in the, in the homes of Americans. Us Americans talk about falling in love. If we can fall in love, we can fall out of love. But you'll find this marvelous truth about love is that love is a choice that we make. You notice three times in our passage this morning that God told us men to love our wives. We've got an issue with that. Us men, we, we think we're we think we cool and we think we got this thing. You know, hey, the fawns. I mean, all the women fall at our feet, man. You know, I mean, we're, we've got this thing called love down is what we think. But I'm not talking about a Hollywood love or Hallmark love, or a love that's portrayed by the movie stars and starlets of our day. They know nothing about love. I'm talking about a love that has to be learned from us all. A love that is so rare that we have to study it and learn about it and experience it for our own selves. And it's called the love of God. I said last Sunday that if we're going to have a growing marriage, we must stay in love with Jesus. And if you've never experienced the love of Jesus Christ in your life, you're missing out on what love and life is all about. And the only way to experience it is by being born again. By developing a relationship with Jesus Christ through, through repentance of your sins and, and coming before Him and saying, Lord, I've sinned, please save me, please forgive me. And at that moment when somebody does that, they begin a relationship with Jesus Christ and His love. When we begin that relationship of, of love with Christ, we begin learning about how much He loves us. You'll find out in our text that He said that us husbands were to love our wives even as Christ loved the church and, listen to it, gave Himself for it. The love that Christ is calling upon for us to love our wives with is a giving love. It's a love that gives. Have you ever wondered during a wedding ceremony, the, husband, the, the man standing here, the woman comes down and then somebody laughs, who gives this bride to be married to this man? But they never do ask who gives this man to be married to the woman. You ever wondered about that? Why? It's because the man is to give himself to her. 
Even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for us. How many of you in here are saved? Say amen. You know what it is for Christ to lay down His life for you. He didn't have to. Nobody made it. It was a choice He made to love you so much that He gave His life for you. Nobody's ever loved me that much until I met Jesus Christ. When I found that love in my life, I began learning how to love my wife. I'm still learning how to. You see men we have to study it. We have to. We have to break down every self-conceived thought we've ever had about love. And begin learning about the love of Jesus Christ toward us. He gives of himself every day to every one of us. We've got to admit that we're getting a lot better in life than any of us deserve. He gives, He gives, He gives. Every day He gives, He gives. Every day we wake up, it's new mercies. Every day we wake up, it's new grace. And He gives and gives and gives. None of us deserve it. But because He loves us, He keeps giving Himself to us. It's a giving love. But you'll find out that he said that he might wash it in regeneration by the word. It's a grace love. You know how we get washed? We get washed in the blood whenever we confess our wrongs to him. Am I right about it? We get washed, the blood is activated in your life whenever we come to Him and, and admit we're wrong. I didn't, I shouldn't have done that, honey. How, do, how does a relationship between two people, two totally opposite people, I mean, a man and a woman, they think different, they look different, they act different, they, they respond different. They're not the same, they're different from each other. How do we ever coexist with each other? By learning to say, I'm sorry, forgive me. And how does the other one respond to that? By forgiving not holding it over their head. And every time he does something wrong, you bring up everything he's done from the past and saying, look what you did. You did this there. You did that there. No, forgiveness forgets it. And we've got to learn to, to have grace. I've always said that a marriage is made up of two people who have learned to forgive. You better learn how to forgive in a marriage. If you start grudge holding and start holding things over each other's head, it'll never survive. Because I promise you this, you can find plenty in either person's life that's wrong. I mean, if you hang around me one minute, you'll find plenty that's wrong. And she's lived with me for 46 years now. 
And there's been plenty manifested and plenty that could have just wrecked. Plenty that I've done that could have destroyed our marriage. Even though I thought I was right. (laughs) Us men are like that. It's hard for a man to say I'm wrong. Oh, okay, okay. I got I got me one there. It's hard for men to say I'm wrong. I lost the one that did say amen. <laughs> must have must have squeezed her a little tighter. <laughs> we got we got an issue with that. That's what I said. That rib was connected to our. Our stubbornness, man, we stubborn. We hard-headed. <laughs> and uh, this love that we're talking about is not only giving and not only full of grace, but it's got a goal connected to it. He said that he might present it to himself. A bride not having spot or wrinkle. I <laughs> oh, thank God for Botox. Amen. <laughs> and spot cream. <laughs> Women worry about those two things and they, they get a little bit older and they look in the mirror and they say, Oh my God, I didn't know I had so many wrinkles. And they just all over the place about it. But did you know a woman can get spotted and wrinkled spiritually? He's not talking about outward spots and wrinkles. The Lord's not even concerned about that kind of stuff. What he's talking about is the spots and wrinkles spiritually. Men, if we don't learn how to love them and begin loving them the way that Christ loved the church, they'll get spotted and wrinkled and me and Debbie were going somewhere the other day and there was a car sitting at the intersection. We were at a red light getting ready to turn. And there was another car sitting over here and they got the green light and here they came out in front of us. I said, Debbie, look at that car. It needs ironing. I've never seen a car so wrinkled in all my life. I mean, it was... It, was, it wasn't banged. It, it had creases all over it. And need, looked like it needed to be ironed. <laughs> you know, our wives can get wrinkled and spotted on the inside with things that we do. And, and we don't tend to it. We don't work through it. We let it just go. And that thing will wrinkle and it'll spot and it'll sat there for the longest time inside a woman. Ain't we having a time? Where's my hanky? I've I've got to get my hanky out today. I better say amen to my own self on this one. (laughs) But us men have got to learn how to love our wives. It's something that we, we don't, it don't come natural to us. We think we got it, but we don't got it. And the only way we're ever going to learn it is by being saved by the grace of God.
You'll never love her the way you should till you let Jesus Christ love you the way He wants to. And the only way for you to ever experience that is to bow your knees to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Save me. Save me, Lord. November the 21st, 1982 was a good day in my life. Deb and I had been married for six, five years, somewhere in there. And we'd had, we'd had some issues. When Deb and I both got married, we were both lost. She didn't know she was lost. She was a good girl. She was a good person. But being good does not save anybody. You can be the best of the best and still die and go to hell because you missed Jesus Christ as your Savior. We got married and in our dating, she was warned. She said, people, her friends told her, said, do not, do not date John Dale. She was warned. But I warned her. I wooed her. And she told me, she said, John, I'm, I won't even date you unless you go to church with me. Well, we did. We went to church together. She went to a, a big church there in Waycross, and we went together. And after being married about six months, I woke up one Sunday morning, and I said, I'm not going to church today. She said, why? I said, I, I just don't want to go. And I didn't. I was lost. Lost people don't like going to church. And I said, I just, I don't want to go. So to save face, she didn't want people to think that we were having marital problems. So to save face, she stayed out of church too. And what did this old lost boy do? Drug her out of church. One step at a time. We lived like that for five, six years. I was a mean, calloused individual. I thought I had, I, I had this world by the tail, and I thought I was it. I love that's why I love that song that Brother Terry sings often. I thought number one surely would have been me. That was my attitude in life. And because of that attitude, I mean, I was raised that way. I was raised, you're a Dale, you're going to excel, you're going to make it, you're good. this is it, you're a Dale. And I was raised that way. And uh, I'll never forget one day we met up under the garage and we had a heated exchange up under that garage. And she said, I'll tell you what, and this is the way she was raised. Her dad and mom, they divorced, got back together, divorced again, got back together. She looked at me and she said, we'll just get a divorce. Well, I was not raised that way. I looked at her and po poked my finger in her face. I said, you ever mention that word again, I'll give you a divorce. And I mean it. Now shut up about that word. And I meant it. And she knew I meant it. And I'm glad God gave me enough, even though I was lost back then, God gave me enough courage to, 
to put Satan out of that situation. And so we stayed together and shortly after that, I got saved. And I came home a new man. And I remember hearing a preacher preach on my home in a camp meeting one day. And it was something that I'd never heard before. Things I'd never, never heard a preacher deal with about. I mean, it was always, you need to get saved, you need to get born again. And, and we do, and I'm not discounting the gospel. But I'd never heard a message on the home and a relationship between them, a man and a woman. And I, I sat there and I was under, under such conviction. I was saved, but I was up under conviction for being who I was. And all I wanted to do was leave the meeting that night after service and go home and apologize to my wife for being such a sorry husband. And uh, I told the preacher that I was with, I said, I just want to go home. I need to go home have, have a long sit down with my wife and, and apologize. He said, I think God wants us to stay. Well, it just so happened that we did stay in that last night of the meeting. God called me to preach. And I went home not only different, but I went home a preacher. She didn't marry a preacher when she married me. She married a lost guy that didn't know nothing about a woman. Or a relationship. Got saved and went home and I told my wife, I said, honey, I just, and I told her what I'd heard that preacher preach. And I said, I'm so sorry. I haven't been what I should be. And I made up my mind back then that I was going to begin learning some things from this book of what it means to be a husband and you'd be surprised at how long my wife studies the Word of God about what it means to be a wife. You don't just do it. You've got to be intentional to have a great marriage. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just, it's not just a fluke that's going to fall into your lap. It's going to be something that both of you are going to have to work at together. In your marriage. Sis you come on to the piano. We're preaching on these thoughts. On a growing marriage. I said last Sunday. And I'm going to say it again. Do not. Settle for just a marriage. Oh we got a certificate. We remember the day that we. Stood together in an altar. Oh, we're married. We're legal. But that's all it is. The relationship's not growing. It's not getting better. It's not becoming what Christ intended for it to be. There's help. There's hope for every marriage. Every home, there's help and there's hope for us all. As we stand across the auditorium this morning, I've just bore my heart to you.